Today's sermon is a narrative from the perspective of Solomon, presented in the style of a memoir. Today's reading is 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, reading from the Common English Bible translation. Solomon became the son-in-law of Pharaoh, Egypt's king, when he married Pharaoh's daughter. He brought her to David's city until he finished building his royal palace, the Lord's temple, and the wall around Jerusalem. Unfortunately, the people were sacrificing at the shrines because a temple had not yet been built for the Lord's name in those days. Now Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the ways of his father David, with the exception that he also sacrificed and burned incense at the shrines. The king went to the great shrine at Gibeon in order to sacrifice there. He used to offer a thousand entirely burned offerings on this altar. The Lord appeared to Solomon at Gibeon in a dream at night. God said, ask whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. Solomon responded, you showed so much kindness to your servant, my father David, when he walked before you in truth, righteousness, and with a heart that is true to you. You've kept this great loyalty and kindness for him and have now given him a son to sit on his throne. And now, Lord my God, you have made me your servant, king in my father David's place. But I am young and inexperienced. I know next to nothing, but I'm here your servant, in the middle of the people you have chosen, a large population that cannot be numbered or counted due to its vast size. Please give your servant a discerning mind in order to govern your people and to distinguish good from evil because no one is able to govern this important people of yours without your help. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had made this request. God said to Solomon, because you have asked for this instead of requesting long life, wealth, or victory over your enemies, asking for discernment so as to acquire good judgment, I will now do just what you said. Look, I hereby give you a wise and understanding mind. There has been no one like you before now, nor will there be anyone like you afterward. I now also give you what you did not ask for, wealth and fame. There will not be a king like you as long as you live. And if you walk in my ways and obey my laws and commands, just as your father David did, then I will give you a very long life. Solomon awoke and realized it was a dream. He went to Jerusalem and stood before the chest containing the Lord's covenant. Then he offered entirely burned offerings and well-being sacrifices and held a celebration for all his servants. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, Reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen.
My parents named me Solomon. It's not the only name I have. In Hebrew, Solomon sounds a lot like the word for peace, shalom, or as you might say, Salem. I'm pretty sure it was my mother's idea. How do I know? Let me tell you a story. My parents met in unusual circumstances. My father's name was David. You've probably heard of him. My mother, Bathsheba, was married to Uriah, who served in my father's army. It was springtime, and Uriah was away fighting. My father was always at war in those days. From the rooftop of the palace, my father noticed my mother off in the distance, and he sent for her. She came at his request and became pregnant while her husband was away. When my father found out, he was ashamed, afraid to face the truth, and he tried to hide what had taken place. He issued orders to send my mother's husband to the front lines of the battle, and he died. My mother was devastated, but what could she do? After all, my father was the king. So she became my father's wife, but the baby that was born, a son, got sick, and he didn't survive. It wasn't long after, as they were still grieving the loss of their first child, my brother, that my mother became pregnant with me. In reading about my father's time as king of Israel, you'll find that he was very popular, always was. You'll also find that apart from my birth, I'm never mentioned in the story about his life. If I'm honest, I've always felt like I was a reminder for my parents of a really difficult time. For my mom, I was the child who survived. And for my dad, well, I was just a reminder of the child who didn't. I will admit to you that he and I were never really close. And though it might be hard for some of you to hear, it isn't hard for me to say out loud because it's true. It wasn't until the end of my father's life when it was decided that I would serve as king after him. Almost no one expected this, me most of all, since I wasn't the oldest son. This too was largely my mother's doing. She and the prophet Nathan heard that my brother Adonijah was laying claim to the throne while my father was still alive. And he started to behave as though he might be willing to take the throne by force if necessary. Fearing for my own life, Nathan and my mother paid a visit to my father and made him promise that I would become king instead of my brother. My father relented, though it's hard to say if my being king was what he really wanted. Even so, the decision was made, and it was then announced to all of the people who began to celebrate. I was just overwhelmed by it all. Shortly thereafter, as my father lay on his deathbed, he called me to his side and decided to give me some advice, parting words from a man I never really knew. I'm not sure that I could say what I was expecting, but I will say that I had hoped for something more akin to a blessing. Maybe something like, you're a good son. I love you, and I'm proud of you. 
but I really don't think my father was capable of saying anything so sentimental, not about me, nothing that I could really cling to and remember. Instead, he just said, be strong, as if I was, and be a man, as if I knew how. And he said, walk in the ways of the Lord as if I knew what he meant. And he told me to act wisely as if he himself had shown me what wisdom was. I was so desperate for some understanding, for anything that would serve to guide me on my way. Maybe I wouldn't have been so desperate if I had had someone to teach me. But my father made the moment more about himself, urging me to do his bidding, to seek revenge on his behalf, and to settle the many things that he had failed to do during his life. And then he was gone. And I was left to figure things out on my own. At least that's what I thought at first. My father's shoes were hard to fill, but I did the best that I could. He wasn't always as I wanted him to be, but he was my father just the same and the only one that I had. So I hit the ground running, and for a while I just lived in the shadow of his legacy. It was the only thing that I knew to do. Looking back, I think the hardest part about being my father's child is that he always carried so much authority, it never really occurred to me that he wasn't perfect, that he also made mistakes. I'd always looked up to him and had so conflated the ways of the Lord with the ways of my father that I never realized there was a difference. In a similar way, I just assumed that to be king was to be like him, to walk in his footsteps, to ask what he would do, and then do it without questioning, regardless of the outcome. My father never said that he was proud of me. Still, I lived to please him, trying to follow in his example. The pressure was immense in those days as I tried and I tried and I tried, and no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't be like him. I couldn't be who he was. And over time, I could feel deep down that I was searching for something. I just didn't know what it was. In my struggle to try and be just like my father, it had never occurred to me that I didn't need to be. That to be king in the line of David was not the same as becoming David. I needed to find a way to get out from under his shadow, but I didn't know how. Until one night when I had a dream. I had recently been married to a daughter in the house of Pharaoh in Egypt. The marriage represented a kind of treaty between us, a vow to keep the peace between our kingdoms and to work together. I was trying anything and everything not to fail, which I've learned is no real way to live and to thrive. I really didn't know what it meant to be king in the beginning. Around this same time, I traveled to Gibeon, not far from Jerusalem. 
Gibeon is in the land of Benjamin, where Saul, who was king before my father, was from. My father also spent some time there, and Gibeon was the site of a great altar where many came to worship God in the days before I finished building the temple in Jerusalem. It took me seven years to build it, and people came from everywhere to worship there. When I was at Gibeon, I could feel in my spirit a desire to be as near to the presence of God as I could. And as king, I made arrangements to sleep near the altar in the holy place where sacrifices are made. And as I was sleeping, I experienced what can only be described as the appearance of the presence of God and of a voice speaking to me. And I heard the voice say, Ask, ask, what shall I give you? To be honest, at first, the question seemed a bit strange, as if I had something to say that I didn't already know about. For several minutes, I didn't say a word. It seemed like forever. But then, rather unexpectedly, surprising even to myself, I began to pray. And I said, God, you have shown your kindness to my father as he lived with a heart that was open to you. And now you show your kindness to him by allowing me, his own son, to be king after him. And now I sit in my father's place. And though I am grateful, Really, I am grateful. I feel so overwhelmed. I do not know what I'm doing. I do not know how to lead your people. And yet here I am. How can this be? Why did you put me here? Why am I here, God? Why am I here? Help me to know what is good. And help me to distinguish your good purposes in this world that is so wide. I need your help. Because without your help, without your wisdom and guidance, I know that I'll just mess it up. It was strange to hear myself pray in my dream, saying things that I had never said out loud before. Could it be that God was really listening. Then suddenly the voice answered me and said, you have asked for discernment, to see through to the heart of things. I will give you your heart's desire. I will give you wisdom that you may know the way. And I too will give you more than you have asked for, honor, and abundance and success. But know this, there has never been anyone quite like you before, and there never will be. So walk in my ways as your father did, and your life will be long. I awoke, and it was still dark, and I was startled by what I had heard and seen and said. And it was a moment of clarity for me. 
For all this time, I've been trying to follow in the footsteps of my father, but what I heard in my dream and now understood was that I needed to learn to walk in my own. For I was living in a different time with gifts and challenges and opportunities that were unique to me. And I now knew that I needed to make the most of them, not by trying to live someone else's life, but by living my own as fully and as deeply as I could. Somehow I knew that it was by making the most of each moment that God was able to make the most of my life. I didn't have to be afraid anymore. I didn't have to be afraid of myself. I didn't have to be afraid of my feelings. Instead, I could trust in the Lord with all of my heart, even the parts of my heart that I try to hide away. And I could grow from all of the wisdom that life has a way of teaching us, lessons that only come to us by living as we seek and find our God in all of the many directions that our paths will take us. It is God who will direct us. It is God who will steady all of our steps. As the years went by, I often reflected on my dream that night in Gibeon, and I would have other dreams in the future, moments when I experienced the nearness of God in ways that it's just too hard to explain. Despite moments like this, there were many times that I did not follow my own advice, and there were many times that I did not walk in the paths of the Lord. In fact, for a long time, I viewed my wealth and material achievements as the signs of wisdom, a kind of self-legitimization, the just rewards of my own success, and I could feel that my heart was turning away. The more gold and silver and horses that I accrued, often in dishonest ways, even then, the more and more people would come from everywhere to hear from me. The more and more they would just say how wise I had become, and I believed them. But it was foolishness all the more. It was a facade, just beauty on the outside, because on the inside I was empty, refusing to confess the many unearned gifts I had received. And the people who entrusted me to be their king to lead them toward what is good and right and true. They suffered in so many ways because I did not love them well. They counted on me, and I often let them down. Sometimes it is easier to live a lie than it is to live the truth. And the longer I did so, the longer that I refused to look into the mirror the harder it was for me to accept who I was becoming. But now, well, I've now lived long enough to look back and see many turning points along the way. And I'm wise now, but it is not by my own doing. 
And I'm able to see not only my accomplishments, but also to face the mistakes that I've made, to apologize for the pain that I've caused, and to accept the consequences for my own decisions. And here are some of the things that I've discovered about wisdom along the way. We're able to acquire the lessons that no one taught us. And should we neglect to confront the mistakes of those who came before, we will surely make them ourselves. We can grow. We can change. We can be better. We can become our best. But no matter how hard we try, we can never be someone else. We can never live someone else's life. We can only ever live the life that we have. Wisdom is just a dream for those who do not see what it really is, not power or wealth or notoriety. Wisdom is found most fully in the love that we show to one another. And when we only love another person or a group of people, as long as they meet our expectations and satisfy our desires, whenever we use people, that's not love. That's manipulation. And when we do this, we miss out on experiencing the power, the width, and the length, and the height, and the depth that love really is. Love that emerges slowly in us like a seed that is put there by God to grow and to mature, and it changes us and softens our hearts toward the ways of God in the world. Knowledge is information that can be learned, but wisdom is a gift that must be demonstrated. Knowledge expands. Wisdom deepens. And legacy is not about what we have or know or do. Legacy is about what we love and how we live and who we become. And you never have to be afraid of becoming who you are. If it's who God made you to be, then it's, then it's who you really are, and that's a good thing, even if it means letting go of some of the baggage that you carry around. And the stories that have been told about you by those who have tried their very best to define you. Because lastly, sometimes people believe in you, even when you don't believe in yourself. And that's a powerful thing. Like I said at the beginning, I have two names. My parents called me Solomon, which means peaceable. But if you read the story closely, you'll find that because of God's grace, the prophet Nathan called me Jedidiah, which means beloved. Solomon is the name that my parents gave me. Beloved is who God called me to be. And by grace, beloved is God's name for you too. Praise be to God. Shalom.